We are continuing our series entitled Healing Choices. I hope this has been a blessing to you so far. Uh, we're looking at the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus spoke there. And what we, we've been doing, we've been learning about choices that each of us have to make if, if we want to be free from our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups uh, that so easily I- imprison us. So before we get into the Word, why don't you bow your head together with me and let's pray and ask God's blessing on His Word. Heavenly Father... We come before you today in humility, knowing that that we are weak and we are powerless to change our lives, much less change anybody else's life. The Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come in power. I'm asking God for a miracle today. I'm asking for a miracle of empowerment. I'm asking that, that you would somehow allow my words to carry power that go well beyond the weakness of this messenger, Lord God. And I'm asking God that you would carry forth your word deep into our uh, innermost being, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know there are people in, in this room that are, and that are watching online that need freedom. And I also know, God, you're the only one capable of, of giving the kind of freedom we need. So we just pray, come Holy Spirit. Have your, have your way in us today, Lord God. And I believe you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Everybody knows how to say the amen. That's good. That's good. <laughs> have you ever been stuck? Anybody here ever been stuck before? You know, uh, we, we used to live in Reno, Nevada, and, and we, we pastored a church there. And, and uh, honestly, they really didn't get that much snow there. Uh, but every now and then, the uh, storm would, if it came in from the west, it's, Reno's right at the base of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And if it came in, the storm came in from the west, they had this thing called the rain shadow effect or the snow shadow effect. And down in the valley, we wouldn't get much snow. But every once in a while, a storm would come in from the north. And if it came in from the north along the mountains, look out because you were going to get dumped on. And, uh, and I remember some of those storms, you know, the, the snow would come or, or maybe it was rain that turned to ice, which is way worse than a snowstorm. Um, as you know, that, down around here, we get more ice than snow. And we know that's way, way worse than that. But, but the driveway leading into the church's parking lot at that uh, church that we were serving, uh, the, the entrance, just the very entrance into the driveway w- was sort of this fairly steep hill. And then it would go down and sort of level off a little bit. So uh, what would happen, though, when it would snow or it would rain and turn to ice is, uh, is that small little hill that was, that was fairly steep would, would turn into uh, and become what one of my Bible colleges and profe- uh, Bible college professors used to say. He would he would say it was slickered and snot on a doorknob. Um, that's what some, some of you are like grossed out now, but 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 and what would happen is he gets so slick that if you were going into the church, if you pulled into the driveway and there was ice or snow there, you'd better be moving really really slowly. Because if you weren't, you'd gain momentum on that little hill and you would slide all the way the length of the, of the parking lot and then run into these uh, dumpsters that were down at the bottom of the hill. And, or the other side of it was, uh, and this happened more often, if you were in the parking lot, say we're having church and then it snowed during church or it iced up during church, then, uh, then you have the, the, the uh, challenge of trying to get out of the parking lot while it's slick. And, and what happens is, if you're in the parking lot, they, you, you would, if you're the driver, and, and I'm just, if you've never driven in snow, I'm going to give you a, a little primer here, just some real simple pointers. But if you're, if you're going up a hill on snow, 
Once you get moving, once you start rolling, there is one rule. Does anybody know what that is? Don't stop. Whatever you do, don't stop. Because if you stop, you're going to have to go all the way back down to the end of the hill again to be able to go back up. And so if you stop, you would get what? Stuck. That's the word. And, and, and uh, uh, you know, the question that comes to my mind is, how many of you ever felt like you were stuck? You ever felt that? Do you, you, you have your life in the lowest gear possible and you're, you're pushing the gas pedal down all, all, as much as possible, but it just seems like all you're doing is spinning your wheels and you're just getting nowhere. Has that ever, ever felt like that in life? Have you ever felt like that you were, you were stuck in a relationship? Stuck in a rut, stuck in a job, stuck, stuck in a situation where there was no hope, stuck in guilt that seemed like there was no way to get around, and stuck in a never-ending cycle of losing and not getting ahead. How many of you have ever felt stuck? Say amen. amen. Maybe you're stuck in a financial mess. Maybe you're stuck in a habit. Maybe you're stuck in a hang-up hang or a hurt. Maybe you're stuck in some type of situation where you just think there's no hope for escape. Well, this series, Healing Choices, is all about this idea that, that, that no matter what prison you're stuck in, you cannot get out of it on your own, but Jesus can make a way for you to f- be free. And the first week we learned that you have to make the reality choice. And if you don't, haven't heard these first two, I'm not going to go into detail. You, they're online. You can go find them either on our Facebook page or you can go to our website, restorationlifechurch.tv. They're all on there and you can either watch them or listen to them there, uh, there on that site. But, but we learned that week that we are powerless to do anything on our own. And part of the reality choice was to remember uh, the, the choice to, to make the, the realization that there is a God and we are not Him. Amen. The second week we learn uh, that we have to make the hope choice. And the hope choice says that God exists, that God is powerful, and that God wants to help open the door of my prison. He wants to open the door of your prison, whether it's a habit, whether it's a hang-up, whether it's a hurt. He wants to do there do, uh, to help you with that. And this week we come to what we're calling the commitment choice. Everybody say commitment. Okay, that's not too bad. In, in the Beatitudes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus shares the third of the Beatitudes. He said, blessed. And when we read that word blessed, we understand that blessed means what? Happy. Happy. Okay, see, some of you are catching on. And remember, the more you interact, the shorter I preach. And so now suddenly everybody's going to be shouting out loud. Uh, how many of you want to be happy? Say amen. amen. All right. The, the, there, there are these steps of, to happiness in, in Matthew chapter 5 and Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, now that's, that's a word, meek, that we, we don't use very often in our culture at all. Let, let, let's all say that word together. Say meek. meek. Very good. Now, when, here's the problem. When we think of the word meek, we often think of the word weak. And I think it's because it rhymes, which is just kind of unfortunate. But we think of somebody who is meek. We think of somebody who just kind of sort of cowers in the corner and they, you know, they're, they're weak and, and, and they're, they're, they're just not a very forceful person. And so when we say that person is very meek, sometimes we mean they're very weak. Uh, and we think that a meek person is not very strong, that they're not very aggressive. We even say they're meek and mild. We, we, we often say that. Yet, listen, in, in the Greek, 
The word that Jesus uses here that's translated as meek does not mean weak at all. Meek does not equal weak. In fact, the word translated meek here was used to describe a a stallion, a, a, a mighty horse that has been broken and brought under control. When he's broken, listen, when you have a horse and you break that horse and you bring that horse under control, does that horse lose its strength? Absolutely not. He's just as strong as he was before, but now, guess what? That strength, instead of just running wild, is brought under control and that strength is channeled for a purpose. So when Jesus said, Bless, says, blessed are the meek, he's saying, happy are those whose strength has been brought under control, who are no longer running wild in in every direction, but now have brought their life under control so that it can be lived for a purpose. It can be lived for a cause. That's what meek is. It's strength under control. So a man that's meek is a man that knows that he can exert strength to hurt somebody, but he chooses not to do so. That is being meek because it's strength under control. Happy are the meek. Happy are those who have brought themselves under the control of Christ. Happy are those who have made the commitment choice. I'm in this prison and I can't get out of my own. Jesus offers me help, but I have to commit that I'm going to receive his help. I have to commit that I'm going to bring my life under his control. I have to commit that I'm no longer going to run wild with every idea and every plan and every dream of my own. I have to decide that I'm, I'm drawing a line in the sand and I'm going to step across that line and I'm going to make a, a choice to commit everything in my life to Jesus. If we, if we don't give everything to Jesus, then what happens is we, we enter and endure a vicious cycle that comes with our habits, our hang-ups, and our hurts. And, and, and this vicious cycle begins with, and if you want to draw it out, you can make a circle and you can put this one at the beginning, at the top or whatever. But this vicious cycle begins with guilt. It begins with guilt. How many of you ever, have ever felt guilty over a habit or over a hang-up, over a hurt that you have in your life? Everybody here ever felt guilty in your life over that? And you, you say to yourself, you say, I don't want to do that anymore, and then you do it. Anybody ever had that experience in your life? What, what did Paul say? He, he said, the things I don't want to do, I, I do. And the things I, I want to do, I, I don't do. So, so we have guilt over the things that we do that we don't want to do. And we say, I want, we say, I want to stop this habit. I want to stop living in this hurt. I want to stop uh, having, uh, dealing with this hang-up. You know, uh, getting more real, more specific. I, want to, I don't want to keep smoking, but I, I don't want to be addicted to nicotine. I don't want it to have power over my life. Or we say, I don't want to keep messing up and losing my job. I don't want to keep drinking and getting drunk. I don't want to keep losing my temper with my wife and my kids. I don't want to keep hurting people that I love and we feel guilty about it because we just can't seem to stop. How many understand that at the right time it's it's proper to feel guilt? But if we don't process through that guilt properly, then we just move into a cycle of despair because what happens is we go from guilt to anger. We get mad at ourselves. Anybody here ever been mad at yourself? Let me see your hand. Yeah. I mean, you know, listen. I will get madder at me than anybody else in the world. Uh, it's true. It's true. Like, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I, know you I wasn't planning on sharing this, but it's just a little illustration of how I got, you get mad at yourself. I remember, 
I was up in the attic doing something, and uh, I, there was a box here, and I was on this walkway in the attic trying to get over to the furnace where I was working, and I, I went to, to step around a box, and my foot stepped right on the edge of that walkway, and it slipped off, and next thing I knew, most of my leg was in my youngest daughter's bedroom, right through the ceiling. I could not even talk to anybody. I was so mad at myself that I could not talk to anybody. You ever been there? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not talking about with a leg through the ceiling. I mean, just, I'm just talking about mad at yourself. You know, somebody, <laughs> Randy's back there like, oh, yeah, I had my leg through the ceiling. I have been there. <laughs> so I, we feel each other, brother. We feel each other. But, but we can do that. We get mad at ourselves. But not mad because we made a mistake like that. We get mad because we say, why can't I stop that? Why did I do that? And we start with guilt and we wish we weren't doing that and we try to stop, but then we can't stop. And because listen, you can't stop on your own. You have no power on your own to get out of that prison. I, I do what I don't want to do and, I, and then I feel guilty about it. I try to stop on my own, but I can't stop on my own. So now I get angry at myself. I should be able to do better than this. I should be stronger. I should be able to stop this. I should be able to get over this hurt. I I should be able to not be bitter over that situation. I, I should be able to get over that habit. I should be able to not have this hang up. What is wrong with me? Sometimes we, we even ask, what's wrong with God? Why doesn't he help me? So we move from guilt to anger. Then we move to fear. We say, I'm never going to be able to get over this hurt. I'm never going to be able to get over this habit. Is there, is there any hope for me at all? I'm, a, I'm afraid I'm never going to be able to make it through this hang-up. I'm afraid I'm continually going to be sabotaging every relationship I have. I'm afraid that I'm continually going to be losing my job because I, because I lose my temper with other, other employees. I, I'm afraid I'm continually going to be short on money and I'm unable to pay my bills. I'm afraid I'm continually going to keep fighting with my spouse. This is never going to end. There's no hope for me and when we get to that point where we begin to think that there's no hope for us then we spiral down into depression then in our depression we say well you know every other christian is so joyful and happy every other christian's got it all together but i'm not so guess what when we feel when we begin thinking that guess what we feel we feel guilty And guilt turns into anger, which gives way to fear, which turns into depression, and the whole cycle starts over again. And we find ourselves going through it over and over again. We have guilt because of our habits and our hang-ups and our hurts. We get angry that we can't stop. We're fearful that we'll never be different. And that leads us to despair and depression, which brings us back to guilt again. It's a vicious cycle. But making these healing choices is a way to break out of that cycle. So, So here's the question for us this morning. What holds us back from making the commitment that we need to make? What holds you back from saying, Pastor, I want to make the commitment to cross this line. I want to make the commitment to move forward. What keeps us from moving out of that prison cell and saying, I'm going to give my life fully and completely over to Jesus Christ. I realize that I can't solve my habits, my hurts, my hangups on my own. I have to have God's help. I have to cross that line. 
And, and, and then the question is, what does it mean to cross that line? It, it, it means that if you're here today and you've never committed your heart and your life to Jesus, then today before you leave the service, you make that commitment. Here's, here's what I understand. When you make that commitment, you're making that commitment based solely on what you know today. Tomorrow, guess what? You're going to know more. And the next day, you're going to know more. The day after that, you're going to know more. Then next month, you're going to know more. The year after that, you're going to, you're going to know more. So, so listen to this. Life as a follower of Christ is not just a single decision and we're done. It's not just that we say, okay, I choose to follow Jesus. Now it's over. How many of you understand that it's more than just a single decision? Choosing to follow Christ is a single decision that leads us into a relationship with Jesus. And then it becomes a a process of all kinds of decisions after that to continue to commit every area of our lives to Jesus. We give him everything we know right now. And if you've not decided to follow him, then you need to start there and decide to follow him today, cross that line. But, you know, for some of you here today, you've decided to follow him sometime in the past, maybe even years ago. And and you're thinking to yourself, I made that decision. That's all I have to do. No, listen to me this morning. There are all kinds of other lines that God is asking you to cross all the time in your life. He's saying, commit this part of your heart to me. Commit this part of your life to me. Commit uh, this part of who you are over to me as well. Following Jesus begins with a decision, but it continues with a process of constantly surrendering new areas of your life over to him. And listen, if you're in a place where you have not surrendered anything new to him for a long time, then you're in a place of stagnation. And it's a time for you to get on your face before God and say, Lord, I know that I have grown complacent. I need to deal with some things in my life. Show me where I'm holding back. And you start working out your salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul the Apostle put it. So we make a commitment, but that's not the end. The commitment to follow Jesus is the initial step. So, so maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't even know why he's talking to me about this because I gave my heart to Christ 25 years ago. Listen, we need to set apart Christ Jesus as our Lord every single day of our lives. Even though we've made a decision to follow Jesus, there are a lot of, of us who are holding things back that we aren't committing over to him. So, so the question we have to answer today is, are you going to cross that line today and commit that habit? Are you going to cross that line today and commit that hang up? Are you going to cross that line? And this is a really big one for a lot of us in today's world. Are you going to cross that line today and commit that hurt over to him? Because we do that sometimes. They say, Lord, I'm giving you my hurt. And then we hang on to it. We pull it right back from him and it grows into bitterness. But are you going to make that decision to cross the line and commit yourself to him so that he can work in your life? And if not, then why aren't you? Well, I, I think there, there are four reasons why we don't do that. And l- let me give you the first one. The first reason that we don't want to cross that line of commitment is that we are proud. It's pride. Look what it says in Proverbs eighteen twelve. It says, before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. Before a downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. What what does James say? James said, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me ask you, what do you need to get rid of that habit, that that hurt, that hang-up? You need grace. You need grace to get past that. You need God's activity in, in your life, and you're not going to receive God's grace if you're prideful. 
You, if, you're, if you're prideful and you say, I have it all together. If you're prideful and say, I, I don't need God's help. If you're prideful and say, I can handle this on my own. I don't have to cross this line. I don't have to give this over to God because, because have you ever heard this? I can stop anytime I want to. Anybody ever heard that line? Anybody that says that, you can mark it down. They can't stop anytime they want to. Our pride, believing that we are in charge of our lives, that keeps us from handing that thing over to God. It keeps us from making the commitment choice. We say to ourselves with whatever issue we say, now I can deal with this. I don't need to take this to God. I can handle this on my own. That is pride and it's going to keep you from dealing with it in an effective way. What's the second thing? The second thing keeps us from crossing that line is guilt. Sometimes we're held back by guilt. Sometimes we think that we have been too sinful for God to be able to forgive us. Sometimes we think that. Psalm 40 verse 12 says, For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased, O Lord, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. How many of you, how many of you have ever felt like that in your life? You felt overwhelmed by your guilt. You felt overwhelmed by your sin. You felt overwhelmed by your shame. But here's what I want you to understand. And everybody needs to hear this today. There is no sin so great that God cannot forgive. There is no mountain so high that God cannot climb. There's no valley so low that God cannot descend. Guess what? Can I tell you this? I don't care what sin you've done. I don't care what you've committed. I I, I can tell you this. God has seen it all before. And he will forgive you. There is nothing that you're doing that you could possibly do that God would look at you and say, oh my goodness. You know, he just doesn't do that. He's not shocked by that. No matter how deep the hurt, no matter how deep the hang up, no matter how deeply ingrained the habit is in your life, no matter how deep the guilt is that you feel in your life, God can go deeper than that. I've had people say to me things like, I've done so much in my life. There's no way that God can forgive me. Listen, I want you to know today that the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than any sin you've ever committed. It's like that old song that I love so much. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it will never lose its power and it will come to you wherever you are. Somebody give God praise. Would you do that? Let Let me give you a third one. Sometimes fear keeps us from making the commitment. We're just, we're just afraid. We're fearful. What are we afraid of? Well, first, we're afraid of trusting God. We're afraid of trusting God. We, we may, listen, here's the truth. We may not be much, but at least we can see ourselves, right? We may not be much, but at least we're tangible. But God's invisible. Have, have you noticed that? Anybody picked up on that? That you can't see God? And sometimes we'd rather trust in the visible instead of the invisible. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? He said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, it kind of reminds me, you know, this fear of trusting God reminds me of the guy who was climbing a mountain. And as he was climbing, there's a precarious position where he was and he lost his footing 
and, and he fell off the side of the sheer cliff. And, and as he was hurtling down the side of this mountain, uh, he, was, he was falling, just free falling. And, and there was this, this tree that was growing out of the side of the cliff. And he, he managed to grab that as he went by. And he, he grabbed that and, he was, and he's, he's hanging from that little branch on that tree. And he, he looks up and it's 500 feet to the top. And he looks down, it's 500 feet down below him. And he's just dangling there holding on for dear life. And as he swung back and forth on that branch, he could hear it starting to crack a little bit. And he just shouted out, he just, he just yelled out, Oh dear God, please help me! And in response, he heard the voice of God. He didn't see him, but, but he heard him. And he heard the voice of God speak, and God said, Let go, I will catch you. And the man hung there for a second, and finally he said, Is there anybody else up there? <laughs> you ever felt like that? What? You want me to throw my life into the hands of an invisible God? We have a different plan and we're afraid to trust God. We're afraid to turn our lives completely over to Him. Let me give you another one. We're afraid of losing control, which is really kind of funny because we're really not in control anyway. Anybody, anybody here, listen, if you think you're in control, you're not in control of anything that really matters. It's true. If you say, oh yeah, I'm in control... All, all it can take to cure you of thinking you're in control is one rough conversation with your doctor where he says it can't be treated. All it takes to, to show you that, that you're not in control is to have someone that you thought was healthy suddenly you know, end up in a hospital bed. When you think you're strong and all of a sudden you, can't, you don't even have the strength to get out of, your, out of your bed because you're so sick, suddenly you realize I'm not in control of anything that matters. Anything. But you know, I, I don't know about you, but I've heard that some people... Some people like to be in charge of everything they're involved in. You know, I, I know that, I, I don't know people like that personally, but, uh, but uh, you know, it, maybe I'm like that a little bit at times. Uh, hey, it hurts me when you laugh. Um, I was in the car with somebody the other day and said, listen, I can pull over and get out and you can drive. Um, and I was like, no, no, just do it the way I'm telling you and everything will be fine. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. So, some of us like to be in control. Uh, anybody here resemble that remark? Some of you like some of you like. I'm not raising that in my hand because I'm not in control of that question. But uh, but we we like to be in charge, and sometimes losing that control is what we're afraid of. We're afraid somehow that if we don't do something, it won't happen right. Here's another one. Are you ready? And this may seem like a weird one, but it really is a real fear for for a lot of people. We're afraid that if we cross that line, we'll, we'll turn into a religious nut. You know, we're, we're afraid that we'll have to become a fanatic. That, well, you know, we've got to sell all our stuff and we have to live on the streets and wear a t-shirt that says, repent, the end is near, and put a, a sandwich billboard on ourselves that says, uh, you know, it says, uh, the, the end is near, and then you walk around with a sign and speak in tongues all the time, and then you slick your hair back and put on polyester and go on TV as an evangelist. You know, we think that's what we've got to do. We're, we're afraid that we, we just have to start acting funny, and we've got to start acting crazy, and, and, and listen, I'm here to tell you this, you don't have to do that. Following Jesus isn't like that at all. I want you to hear something that I heard a number of years ago that really helped me through all of this. Because, listen, I'll tell you this. As a, as a, as a minister, when I first started out in ministry, um, uh, you know, I had different guys that I really enjoyed watching preach. And, and when I was a young man, I got to this thing where I was like, I, I didn't know I could just be myself. 
And so I started trying to emulate these different preachers. You know, so like there's one in, at one point in my life where was, I'm not going to mention any names or anything, but there's one preacher that, that I really enjoyed watching. He really inspired me, but, but, uh, but he, you know, when he'd get worked up, when he'd get, uh, he, would, he would take his coat off and loosen his tie. You know, it's like, oh, okay, now the anointings come. And, you know, so I remember, and he would go back and forth on the platform over and, you know, pacing back and forth. And so guess what I did when I preached? I tried to, I tried to time it just right where I'd be walking back and forth. And then at a certain time, I'd pull my jacket off and throw it down on the pew. And, you know, and can I tell you this? When the Holy Spirit comes, he comes through you as you he doesn't change you into somebody else he, he doesn't need you to he's already got that person he doesn't need another one <laughs> some of you are like that's very true um i mean i remember when we were in, on staff in twin falls idaho and there was an elderly uh minister who came on staff he had been he had retired and he'd come on and he was working part-time helping with some care ministry and different things like that and and he got sick and he, he passed away. And there was a young man who had some, some, uh, some learning disabilities, that sort of thing, who came to the church regularly. And, and uh, he was a, just a, had a very sweet spirit. But, but after Pastor Hicks passed away, he came into the church office one day. And he, he had been acting kind of strange. And he, and he, said, uh, he said, Pastor Hicks is gone. And so now I need to take his place. I need to be Pastor Hicks. And I had to sit him down and say, listen... If God still wanted a Pastor Hicks here, he would still be alive. It's not about trying to become somebody else. When the Holy Spirit comes, he comes through you, but he comes as you. It's not going to change who you are and change your personality. You know, and by the way, something closely related to fear, because we're afraid of all these things, is worry. And worry is another reason it keeps us from crossing that line. I want to give you a great leadership lesson in life. And this is, this is about decision-making in every part of your life. But, but too many people mistake the decision-making phase for the problem-solving phase. And, and, and so too many people think that they have to have every problem solved before they can make the decision. And, and, and listen, you may not get every problem solved before you have to make a decision. I'll give you a simple example. Say you, de- you decide, I'm going to buy that house. But if you think you have to have every problem solved before you, de- you can make the decision to buy it, then you'll never make the decision to buy it. Does that make any sense? You have to decide, I'm, this, this is the house that I want. That's the house that I'm going to buy. And now you have a series of problems after you make the decision where you say, okay, number one, where do I get the money? That's a really good decision. That's a problem you have to solve after you make the decision to buy use number two how do i get it inspected number three how do i sell my current house in order to buy that house number four how do i work this into my budget number five where am i going to get my homeowner's insurance you have all these problems that come but if you think you have to solve every problem before you make the decision you will paralyze yourself and you'll never make the decision and it keeps going on and on we got a realtor back there saying amen preach it (laughs) She's, she's like, yeah, yeah, buy that house, buy that house. We have to decide. We, we have to decide. We have to say, God, yes, I commit to you, and I trust you to overcome all the problems that are fa- I face. God, I trust you. I'm going to make the choice to commit this to you, and I trust that you're going to help me deal with these problems. We have to decide what we're going to do, and then we have to figure out how to solve the problems after we make the decision. If you swirl around until you get everything solved, guess what? 
you'll never make the decision. And what ends up happening when you do that is you live on a place called Someday Isle. Someday I'll cross that line. Someday I'll make a full commitment to Jesus Christ. Someday I'll overcome this habit. Someday I'll get past this hurt. Someday I'll deal with this hang up. Someday I'll do this. Someday I'll do that. You have to decide today. And then all the problems will be worked out as you move forward. Does this make sense to anybody? Let me go to the next one. The next reason we don't make the commitment choice is sometimes we allow our doubts to hold us back. I'm going to cross this line. I'm going to step over, but God, I have these doubts. See, some of us think that we have to have such big faith to step over the line. Can I tell you, Jesus never talked. He never said, you need to have big faith. That's, that's not the issue. Remember the, remember the man in Mark chapter 9 that, that came to Jesus? Man comes to Jesus and he's got a problem. He's got an issue. It's a son who's demon-possessed. But he, he comes to Jesus and says, man, and, and he's like, uh, uh, you have a problem. Uh, he, he's just like you. He, he's, he had a problem. You've got a problem. You have an issue. You've got something ugly you've been looking at in your life. And this man, he brings that thing to Jesus. And he runs up to him and falls down in front of him. And the man says, I have this problem. I have this issue. But he says, I don't have much faith. He, he, he says to him, he says, Lord, he says, anything's possible if you believe. And he said, Lord, I believe. And then on the very next breath, he immediately says, help my unbelief. I love that. What what does Jesus say? Does does Jesus look at him and say, oh, you have too much doubt. Get away from me, you pee on you. No, Jesus says, you you just have, you, you just have a little bit of faith. That's okay. He says that's all it takes is a little bit of faith. He told his disciples in Matthew 17, 20, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, listen, it's not about you having big faith. That's not what it's about. How many of you know that a mustard seed is very, very, very small and God's not looking to you and say, you have to have a huge amount of faith. The issue is not how much faith you have the issue is where do you place your faith you don't need big faith you just need small faith in a big God that's what you need put your faith in him even if it's just a little bit of faith even if you come to him and say God I believe that you can help me with this but I'm still just not sure I have doubts I have questions can I tell you, God is not afraid of your questions. God is not worried by your doubts. This man came to Jesus and said, Lord, help my unbelief. And Jesus said, that's enough for me. God's looking for even the smallest sliver of faith so that he can go to work in your life. So even if you have doubts, bring them to Jesus. Can I tell you something? This may shock you as your pastor, but I have doubts. I don't understand everything. I don't have all the questions in my life answered or, or even in my theology. And if that, if that shocks you, just, just get over it because that's part of living on this side of, of heaven. You know, truth, um, revelation confuses me as much as it does you. <laughs> I mean, you, the difference is you, you just don't read it. <laughs> I, know, I know how you work. You're like, uh, yeah, no, you read it's like, you're just like, 
What's, what's with all these horned monsters and swords coming out of mouths and horses bathed in blood and all this stuff? And you're like, man, take me back to the G-rated portion. Let's go back to the Psalms. And, you know, I, 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 listen, the truth is I don't understand everything. I'm not God. I don't understand everything. I don't know everything. There's still things that I have questions about, but that doesn't stop me from putting my trust in Him. It reminds me of a man, Charles Greenaway, great missionary. He's going to be with the Lord now. He went to be a missionary in Africa uh, back in, I think it was in the 30s when he went. may have been in the 40s, but um, maybe even been 50s. I don't know. It was, it was a long time ago. Let's put it that way. But Charles Greenaway, when he was on the mission field, he, uh, uh, he, he, was, he was there with his wife and he had a little boy. He had more than one son, but this one particular son on the, on the mission field uh, got very, very sick. And he prayed and prayed and prayed. You know, the same thing that you would do. God, I'm over here. I'm in the middle of nowhere. My son's sick. I have no way to get any, any help. Please heal him. Please heal him. Well, guess what? His little boy passed away. And, and Charles Greenaway, that was a mystery to him. He couldn't understand that. He wrestled with God over that. You know, it's okay to wrestle with God. He's not afraid of that. But eventually he tells a story about how he was out on the, looking out over the plains of Africa after his son passed away and he couldn't get it. He didn't understand it. And eventually he came to a place where he said, God, I don't understand why you didn't heal my son. But then he said this, he said, but I'm not willing to go to hell over a mystery. See, that's trust in the middle of the doubt. I don't understand it. I, I have questions. But, but as I said, God's not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of your doubts. You say, Lord, I believe you can help me with this habit, but I'm just not sure how, it's, how it can be possible. Guess what? That's okay. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Just bring it all to him. Guess what? Guess what? Those doubts that are there, you think you're hiding them? He knows it anyway. Aren't we funny? Like, like Adam in the Garden of Eden, he, sin, he, and, he and Eve sin, and God comes strolling through the garden, and he hides, all-knowing creator of every, everything, and we're going to hide? He knows. God was walking the garden saying, Adam, where are you? Not because he didn't know where Adam was, but he wanted Adam to admit where he was. See, he knows anyway. You know, you, you come to God and say, God, I'm just having a little trouble believing you for that. He's not going to look at you and go, no. I, you know, he's there, I didn't see that one coming. No, he, he knows. He knows. Just saying, we, we got to hurry along. What does it mean to step across the line? Well, to step across the line, you have to accept God's son as your savior. Step across the line, you have to accept God's son as your savior. Acts 16 says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So that's the first step. Second thing is this. You have to accept God's word as your standard. I, I remember uh, back in the day, I don't even know if they do it anymore. I haven't seen it for so long. I don't know if they do it anymore at all. But how many of you remember when uh, you'd be watching your favorite program or whatever, and all of a sudden they would interrupt your, your television program? You remember that? And it would just start beeping and have this weird screen on there. And, and, and then all of a sudden they would say, this is a test. Right? You remember that? Anybody, anybody here old enough to remember that? 
bunch of, bunch of old, old, uh, I can't, I'm going to say it anyway, a bunch of old farts in here. <laughs> if you're offended, you have to forgive me, Jesus said so. Um, but, but this is a test. This is only a test. If this had been an actual emergency, you would have been given instructions, you know, blah, blah, blah. It goes on down the line. Uh, you, you know how some people live their lives? They, live, they look at their life and they say, this is a test. This is only a test. If this had been a real life, you would have received instructions on what to do. How many of you know we have been, been given actual instructions on what to do? Right here. We've, been, we've already received it. It's called the Bible. It's our guide. It's our manual for life. It's so much more than that, but that's there. So when we, when we cross the line, we are saying, I'm going to accept God's word as my standard. I don't have to rely on opinion or feeling. Oh, my goodness. Thank goodness I don't have to re- rely on my feelings because my feelings are up and down every other day, and my feelings lie to me all the time. Anybody here have your feelings ever lie to you? You're <laughs> just curious. I don't have to rely on opinion or feelings or culture or, or, or anything else as our standard of truth. We accept God's word as the sole standard for our lives. So you have to accept God's son as your savior. And we have to accept God's word as our standard. And the third thing is this. You have to accept God's will as your purpose. I, you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but we do some very strange things to our kids. Have you ever thought about how we torture our children? We do. I mean, think about it. Like, we got some teenagers in the room shaking on their head. That's a whole different subject. We won't even go there today but uh, because I'm not sure who's torturing who in that situation, but I'm just kidding. Uh, but, I mean, just little things. Like we sing a lullaby, you know, when the bow breaks, down will come baby cradle. It's like, isn't that kind of scary? You know? Like, like, like when did Noah's Ark become a kid's story? You ever, you ever think about that? Little John? I'm going to tell you a bedtime story about the time when God was so angry with all humanity that he sent a flood and killed everybody. Now, sleep tight, you know. I mean, what do we do to our kids, you know? Have you ever, have you ever prayed the old bedtime prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And then we get this, this really weird life. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I feel like I should be saying that with some, you know, like, I pray the Lord my soul to, you know, it's just, it's a scary, that's, that's the scariest prayer. As a little kid, I'd, you know, it'd be time to go to bed and my mom or my dad or maybe my, my grandma would, would say, okay, let's pray. I'd say, okay, let's pray. And then they'd start that prayer and, and they'd get to that part where it says, if I should die before I wake, and I'd be thinking, I don't want to die before I wake. Why, why are we praying this? Why don't you just pray? God, just don't let me die before I wake. Let's change the whole prayer. What's up with that? Why do we do this to kids? You're, you're six years old and your parents are praying about dying before you wake up and somebody taking your soul and, you know, death angels coming into the house and all this kind of stuff. I don't understand it. Can, can we just get back to the little engine that could? I mean, that's a good one. The little boys and girls all get candy at the end. That's a good story. It's a safe one. But, but, but guess what? I don't remember where I was going with that. Um, but um, if I should die before I wake, guess what? You, you didn't die before you woke up. God woke you up today for a purpose. 
God got you out of bed today for a purpose. God didn't take you home last night for a reason. You're here. You're alive. So God has a purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. God kept you alive because he wants to accomplish something in you. And he wants to accomplish something through you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So we celebrate the fact that the word there really means that we are his masterpiece. That God has created a masterpiece in you when you got saved but it's not just so that you can put you on display and everybody can say oh isn't that pretty that's not why he creates the masterpiece he says he created created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do and that prepared in advance means it literally means fit up In other words, he says, I created you and gifted you in a certain way and I've got a plan for your life and the way I made you and the way I'm recreating your life, it's going to fit up with my plan for you perfectly. If you're alive today, it's because God has something for you to do. When? Today. Accept God's purpose as a will for your life. Let me give you number four. We'll move quickly. You have to accept God's power as your strength. Philippians 4.13 says this, and I know it's taken out of context a lot of ways, but the principle applies in, in a lot of different ways. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the point I want to make is your strength does not come from within you. It's not about you trying to be strong enough and buck up and be brave. Uh, You know, one of the greatest prayers we can pray every single day. Are you ready for this? If you pray this every single day, you'll begin to see God do some amazing things through your life. Pray this prayer. God, help me to help people today. Help me to help people today. If you want to make a difference in somebody's life, it's not going to happen in your own strength. It's not about you making a decision to say, I am going to help people today. It's about you going to God and saying, Lord, I need your strength working through me. So would you help me make a difference? Would you help me touch somebody's life? Would you give me the strength and the ability to help somebody today? Would you give me the strength to do something today? Because the Bible says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by his strength. We have the power of the Lord at work in our lives and you're never going to get out of that prison cell on your own. You have to have his power to open the door. You have to trust his power as your strength. You have to cross that line today. Some of us need to cross the line and accept God's son as our savior. Some of us need to cross the line and accept God's word as our standard. And some of us need to cross the line and accept God's will as our purpose. And there are others of us that we need to cross that line and accept God's power as our strength. But you know what? All of us, all of us need to cross a line today and say, God, I'm going to bring my life under, under the control of Jesus. I'm going to be meek. I'm not going to run around like a wild stallion anymore. I am going to surrender control of my life to God. Happy are the meek. Happy are the meek. Some of us need to take a step today to commit every part of our lives under the control of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. You're here this morning and, and you need to cross the line. Let's, let's talk first of all to the people who need to cross the line to accept God's Son as their Savior. You're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. 
You're here today and you've never committed your life to him. You're here today and you've never prayed a prayer that says something like, Heavenly Father, I, 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 I come to you in the name of Jesus and I ask that you would forgive my sin and take my, over my life. You've never, you've never prayed that prayer. You never made that decision. Well, today is your day. You can cross that line. Or maybe you're here and you've made that decision, but somewhere along the line, you quit living it. You, you've fallen away. You've stepped back and you're no longer living for God. You're sitting there wondering, can I come back? Will he have me back? The answer is absolutely yes. You can come back to God today. He will accept you. It's time to make that decision. Cross that line. Get over your pride. Get over your guilt. Get over your fear. Get over your worry. Get over your doubt. And just come home. It'll be all right. Well, what about this? What about that? Well, I have to give up this. Well, I have to quit doing that. Well, I have to stop this. Listen, don't worry about solving those problems right now. Just worry about making the decision right now. God will help you solve all those problems later. Just make a choice. Make a decision. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, if you're here today and you need to come back to God, maybe you're you're here today and if if you you died, you're just not sure you go to heaven. The Bible says in 1 John, it says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Accept God's Son as your Savior. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's knocking on the door of your heart today and He's saying, Let me come in. Let me be your Savior. Let me forgive your sin. Let me take charge of your life. He's, he's saying to those that have wandered, He's saying, Come back home. He's saying, Let's start fresh. Let's start new. And heads about and eyes are closed and nobody's looking around. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want, I want, to, I want to cross over that line. I want to make the commitment choice give my life to Christ. I want to, I want to cross that line and make His Word my standard. I want to cross whatever the line is. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And when I get to three, if that's you, I want to just you just slip your hand up in the air just to say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. We're not here to try to embarrass anybody, but I, I just think it's important for us to make a choice to say, today I'm, I'm choosing. I've heard God talking to me and I'm choosing to cross that line. So I'm going to count to three. And if the Lord's talking to you, I'm asking you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. One. Get ready. Two. Without hesitation. Don't hesitate. Three. Put your hand up right now. Yes. Who else? All over the yes. Anybody else? If you're online, you can respond too. I want to pray. Heavenly Father, you see every hand that was raised. And God, you know the lines that you're calling us to cross. And Lord, we we want to be meek. We want our strength to be under your control. We don't want to run around like a wild horse doing whatever we want to do anymore. But God, we, we put ourselves under your control. And Lord, if there are those here today that need to make a choice to make Jesus, their Savior, I pray, Lord, that today they would cross that line. If there are those that have wandered, I pray, God, that they would just make the choice to come back home and they would, they would realize that you have adopted them, you haven't given up on them, and that they can come home. If there are those that are facing other situations, other areas of our life that we haven't surrendered, God, I pray that today would be the day that we stop trying to just solve all the problems and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to choose today and then trust you to help me solve the problems later. And Lord, I pray that today, God, God as, as each one of these people pray in their own words, in their own language, in their, 
in their own way, God, I just pray that today you'd give them the assurance that you are with them and you're never going to give up on them and that they are your child. And God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing. Help us, Lord God, to walk in this commitment choice, to have our strength surrendered to your power. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.